0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. So close, but yet so far for the Black Caps, but baldy basking in green and gold glory. We're going to talk all things T20 World Cup final review. We'll discuss the format and the schedule, the biggest tournament letdowns, the player of the tournament. Moments of the tournament and leading to preview India and New Zealand starting on the T20 bilateral merry-go-round in just a couple of days time. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. (laughs) Well, Baldy, it would only be fair to come to you first in a trend created by Mr. Lipshaw, who always wants the winners to bask in their glory at the top of the show. It's over to you. Resplendent. Uh, for our listeners, sitting there with your green and gold mohawk, border, you, you, you mate, you must be buzzing.
1: The mohawk hasn't come out since 2006 and it's never going to come out again. Look, fellas, I'm just glad I don't own a smartwatch because if I did, I think my health provider would have been on to me Monday morning with offers of blood pressure medication and all sorts of health treatments. That was a... A pretty tense three or four hours there against the Black Caps, but Australia came through in the World Cup final with a pretty comprehensive and professional performance. I think very, very few mistakes from the Australians, and they were good enough on the night to beat a New Zealand side that were were very good. They didn't make too many mistakes, maybe one or two, uh, but Australia were good enough to capitalise on that, and they put in a pretty professional and pretty error-free performance to take home their first T20 World Cup at the second time trying. For New Zealand, heartbreak again three world cup finals in succession but no silverware for the black caps although they will take a little bit of solace in the fact that they're still holders of the world test championship
0: well look, let's not let lippy lead in with that thought let, let's talk about the white ball stuff first from the black caps boys so is this a little bit of the monk, a monkey on the back now the the white ball hoodoo, in terms of three finals in a row what are your feelings after after that game guys oh no one cares about t20 anyway right do they Nah, nah, nah. Look, I, you know,
2: as as much as I said the um, you know, the other day that we are all playing with house money, this one, yeah, this one still hurt, you know. I mean, um I'd really started to believe after Kane's knock and um, you know, I still feel pretty gutted that that he didn't that that knock really just didn't prove a, a winning knock because it was such a good innings and, you know, especially after we get Finch early, I just yeah, I was pretty flat yesterday to be to be fair, but really I actually thought uh I feel it more for the players because, like you said, there's guys in that lineup now that have that have lost three finals, and um, I just think I know those guys have done so well uh, over such a long time, and and some of them got to experience that at the World Test Championship, that feeling. But I just wanted to see them celebrate and drink shoeys like Matthew Wade and Stoyanis and you know, be able to celebrate because there were a few shots of Trent Bolt there at the end in the field and, and it looked like he was doing it pretty tough. So, you know, I, I know we'll kind of unpack the, the game in more detail and um, I don't want to be too downcast about things. So, you know, but I think absolutely, like Baldy said, you, you just have to give a lot of credit to Australia, you know. Uh, I mean, Raj, how are you feeling, uh, you know, at the end of that game?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Um I think if if you look back at all three finals, I I definitely don't I don't feel as bad as the other two, uh, which is just an interesting feeling. And after I've spoken to to a few other people, they sort of feel feel similar. I mean, obviously you want to win, and you get to the final, and they've played some really good cricket to, to get there. And and I think they really put their best foot forward uh, for a lot of that final. Um, but uh, it wasn't to be. I guess I, I am deflated, but um, I see the light. I can see how how we're playing cricket and where we're finding a formula to win games across all three formats, not just white ball, not just red ball. So um, sad, but uh, but buoyant for the future.
0: Let's move on, I guess, uh, some positives from that final. Baldy, a comprehensive performance from your boys. What really stood out for you? What's making you
1: beam green and gold at the moment? Well, certainly it was comprehensive from a batting point of view. Australia chased that down as well as i've seen australia bat in a long long time you think back the last 12 months australia have made a habit of collapsing or making silly mistakes in chases like that you only have to go back as far as the west indies and bangladesh series to realize that australia have put themselves in winning positions only to throw it away on numerous occasions so for australia to come out and face what i think was about 112 113 balls in that final and make only five or six mistakes throughout that 113 balls. That was a really, really professional performance by all of the Australian batters. You really can't fault too many of the dismissals. Finch was trying to get on top of, um, on top of the New Zealand bowlers and got out trying David Warner an excellent innings for him. He was really the key wicket in that final because Without Warner at the top of the orders, asserting some dominance, New Zealand would have been able to put a lot of pressure on Australia with their spinners as it was uh, the combination of Warner and Marsh who batted just tremendously and we'll get onto his performance in a little bit. But I think Warner, he was the real real wicket that New Zealand needed and they didn't quite get it. And so he's, he's backed his unbelievable reserves of self-belief to, to build up a, a, a real key innings in the tournament um i think i'd like to get on to mitchell marsh because i'm so happy for mitchell marsh because the road to the final for mitchell marsh had no shortcuts in it he did all the tours he was gifted an opportunity to bat at three in the west indies and he took that chance and he prepared and prepared and prepared and did all the hard work game after game series after series in that number three position australia toyed with not having them there in the england game it didn't work they went back to mitchell marsh and look, there have been a lot of critics of Mitchell Marsh over the years, uh, both in the Australian media circles and cricket fandom. I don't think there is a more uh, divisive name on the team sheet than Mitchell Marsh in, m- in most cases. But he will have won over many fans with his performances in this World Cup, including me. I just thought he was tremendous batting at number three for Australia throughout the back half of the group stage and in the semifinal and the final. So those performances are months and months of hard work for him. And as they say, preparation meets opportunity. So he had an ounce of luck, let's, let's be fair, uh, but he was ready when that luck came his way and he really made sure that he made his, um, his post a winner in the final.
0: And Lippy, for, for you and Raj, I guess uh, from a Kiwi perspective, Aaron Finch in the aftermath of the game talked about the toss being relatively important in the game. But not really a big deal made of that at the time, and the Kiwis aren't really the kind of side to make excuses. But are there any sort of crumbs of comfort that you sort of latch onto in terms of you know this didn't quite go our way in terms of the rub of the green throughout the course of the forty overs?
2: I, I, that's funny. I've seen quite a few people say uh, about the toss since since that game, and and but I just don't buy it to be honest. Look, I honestly think Australia would have chased down anything. They, they really would. They they batted so well. And, you know, if we're going to be critical, then I think that we didn't bowl well. We've we've been a very, very good bowling unit in this uh, World Cup. But I think Baldy just touched on it there and, and Warner's importance to, to get after Saudi. saudi has been setting the tone in every single T20 game. He's been bowling up front in those power plays. He's been bowling two, or at least two, sometimes three overs at the front and keeping t- teams down to six and over five and over during those those overs picking up a wicket doing such a great job but Warner just took to him Warner said no we're not going to let you just come in and bowl your line and lengths he hit him for boundaries and and basically Australia took you know took charge took the aggressive approach against Australia and we just didn't really have answers and you know I, I know that uh, you know people some people have also said Maybe we went too slow in those first 10 overs. We were only on, I think, 57 or somewhere around there. Under 60 anyway, I think. But yeah, like I said, I just think Australia chased, chased that down. And, and they would have chased down whatever we set them. Because the way that they did it, I don't think I've seen a better chase in a T20 game.
3: So when I, when I looked back and, and when I watched those games, I, I felt like we lost a little bit with our rotation through the middle there with our bowling rotation. I feel like we could have brought back the paces first. What, what do you make of of the performance of uh, our spin team in the middle there, uh, and and what would you would you have done anything differently with with our um, bowling rotation during that second innings?
2: I don't, well, aside from probably not bowling Jimmy Nisham, I don't think that was the right time to try and bring him on um, in the 11th over. I mean, um, but I think that was forced upon us because of what you said, that the spin bowling, the spin, two spin bowlers were a bit off. Um, And I think to be fair, Santon has probably been off this whole tournament. Um, Like not by a huge, huge margin, Um, but we talked about it a bit in that Pakistan game that he was a bit sort of uncharacteristically loose. Um, And I think it sort of showed... I guess it showed... We've seen New Zealand spinners when they've been at their best in this tournament. And that's when the other bowlers around them um, and Santner are building the pressure and Sodi can be that wicket-taker. But in that game, Santner was sort of not really able to build enough pressure. The bowlers around him weren't able to build enough pressure. And he wasn't able to take a wicket, and he wasn't really even brave enough. He probably was the one bowler that looked like he could trouble Mitchell Marsh when he actually was was brave and tossed it up and and turned mm, the ball. Mm. I thought he, you know, those deliveries were really good, but I guess it's always been his role to come in and bowl dots, 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 and when he's not able to do that, and so he's bowling at the other end, and he's a touch off, and he's getting hit for boundaries suddenly we just went through that patch and we just never looked like getting a wicket. We were just hoping at some point that somebody would make a mistake and it just never really happened.
1: Yeah, I just want to touch on Ish Sodi there because it was a real Jekyll and Hyde performance from him with the ball. He bowled some really good deliveries to Mitchell Marsh, turning the ball past the bat. And I actually thought that he was a chance of, of snicking him off there to the keeper. But unfortunately for Sody, he bowled just enough bad balls half trackers or balls that the Australians could kind of get underneath and and hit for six that you know Australia were able to get on top of him and they took 40 off his three overs so he bowled well in parts, but unfortunately, he bowled enough bad balls that Australia were able to get on top of him. And you could almost see his head drop after Australia did start to get on top, because, like you say, he needed support around him. He didn't really get that from the other bowlers in the lineup, other than Trent Bolt, and he wasn't really able to um, use the game plan that he was normally so successful at to to try and. Uh, kind of free his mind to bowl those wicket-taking deliveries as often as he could. I think he got caught in trying not to get hit for boundaries and then ended up dragging the ball down as a result of trying to bowl flatter and and, and outside off stump to try and stay out of the hitting arc.
0: Guys, before we move on and talk about the schedule and the format of the tournament in a bit more detail, I've got a question to pose to both of you from a a Kiwi and a um, Australian perspective when we move forward 12 months to the next t20 world cup what does this victory do for australia in terms of a couple of things Bordy? number one um i I guess that sort of um coaching staff piece and then some of those older players are they going to be there for that next t20 uh, world cup and then from a, yeah, from a New Zealand perspective, I guess look to touch upon um, the changes you guys have made to your batting lineup uh, through the course of this, maybe a new sort of set of tactics um, and obviously the captain being pretty pivotal in that as well. Although noting that he's not going to be playing in the upcoming T20s in India, um, just going into the test series. So Borny, I guess uh, to to you first for the, the hopefully upbeat Australian situation leading into back to back T20 World Cups.
1: Well, that's the thing now. There's expectation on Australia, isn't there, to perform well at home. We've only hosted one World Cup from memory. We might have hosted a Champions Trophy, but I don't remember it. So 92 World Cup, massive disappointment for Australia. Lots of expectation, um, but massive disappointment in terms of the performance in the tournament. Now Australia, on the back of another victory in, in this T20 World Cup, will have some expectations placed on them for the tournament. I think... I don't think any Australians will miss out through retirement. I think the only way that Australia will change that squad is if there's anybody who bangs down the door by making lots and lots of runs in the Big Bash over the over the um, Australian summer and would force their way into the tournament. You might see a change on the periphery of the squad, someone like maybe Uh, Josh Inglis or Josh Felipe pushing their way into the squad. Daniel Sams likewise at the expense of somebody like Mitchell Swepson. I don't think Australia would take three spinners into a T20 tournament at home. So there'll be changes on the periphery. But now that Australia have found their formula in terms of their best 11, there's a lot more expectation on the Australians. I think they'll be confident on their own own patch though, and their own wickets against some of the more bouncier kind of situations. I think Stark will be a different proposition at home. He was disappointing in the back half of the tournament for Australia and an otherwise pretty comprehensive bowling performance. So I think that the... Issue for Australia is going to be one of not being the hunter now, but they're going to be the hunted. Other teams will be gunning for the Australians in their home tournament and they'll have to go in as defending champ- champions rather than a team that can fly under the radar and build slowly as the tournament progressed.
0: Yeah, you're certainly not the underdogs this time around, Baldy, um, as much as you'd like to have it um, that way, I'm sure. To, to Stu and, and Raj, just a word about this Kiwi batting, which looked throughout the tournament, has been a uh, pretty top draw, hasn't it?
2: Uh, yeah I mean we've I think we've just sort of done what's been needed in all of those games which is um, yeah it's been it's been very uh, effective and I mean I was a bit worried that uh, you know at, at 57 at, at the halfway point in that game that uh, we were well behind the rate but you know I, you touched on uh, players that uh, s- stood out and things that we wanted and sort of moments I mean Kane Williamson I mean how how good was that Raj I mean I talked to you before the evening beforehand and I said I was a bit worried about Kane you know because we know that he can kind of catch up it's sort of funny because you think that he's a guy that can just hit singles all the time but he he's really struggled to do that in this tournament he's been getting bogged down taking up a lot of dot balls and he actually did it again in this game but then the way he caught up I mean you know it's sort of uh, we've talked about this mythical episode about uh, the evolution of T20 cricket that, um, you know, now has been pushed back and, and will you will get to hear it, listeners, uh, at sort of the back end of this week. But, you know, Raj, talks. you talked about Ponting's innings in, in that uh, recording and how it was sort of the, the perfect template for T20 batting. I mean, Kane's innings, it, it felt incredibly special at the time and, and almost exactly how you should play a T20 innings.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree. Kane Williamson was, was incredible. As you said, we did have a chat before the final uh, about how he's been struggling to start, and, and he did struggle to start, to be fair, but but when he got going, uh, to use a line of yours, Stu, boy, oh boy, he, um, he really uh, really showed us something special. Uh, I do want to point out uh, that the tactics they used around you know really targeting that fifth bowler, Maxwell um, and uh, Mitchell Marsh. And then they really had that plan to go hard at Mitchell Stark. They knew where he was going to bowl in terms of keeping it full when he comes back for that second spell. And and they they got a little lucky. But, um, you know, fortune favours the brave, as I'm sure that you guys heard the commentators saying over and over again. I do have a question. I'm going to throw it to Binksy because he hasn't had many answers to give during this because he's been hosting. What do you think, uh, on reflection, do you think that that missing Conway piece... Uh, what does that add to to this the spice of this final? Do you think it could have added runs? Do you think it would have made a difference at all?
0: Yeah, I guess it's tough to say because realistically, that the the replacement was a like for like replacement, wasn't it? In terms of um, an an additional guy that that came into the batting order um, that you know is it, to all intents and purposes and has been over the course of a period of time for, for New Zealand lately a top order batting option with the gloves. Um, I I guess it's probably just if you look at that order with Gupta Mitchell, Williamson, then have Conway, then have Phillips, Nisham and potentially um, the the bowlers, Santner, uh, etc. It probably just gives you that extra little crumb of comfort that you've got a guy who has burst onto the international scene over the course of the last 18 months and really showed that he, I think, is going to be a three format player for, for New Zealand for a long, long period of time. So, look, I don't think you can underestimate how well he would have um, potentially played uh, the spin of Zampa as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot made about those right-handers in that batting lineup: up Guptill, Mitchell, uh, Williamson, Phillips, et cetera, and um, a, a left-hander would have given you, uh, I guess, an option to break up probably that spell um, of Zampa's and m- might have made Australia do something different. And, and dare I say it's stupid, like another over of Mitchell Marsh. So... Look, I I think it could have been um, a difference, but I think, you know, you're always going to look back on those little things throughout the course of a tournament, and that's why you have 15 players in a squad, um, and very rarely are you going to go a six or seven game campaign without having to change your personnel out. So we'll never never know whether those Gunnamore gloves protected his uh, metacarpal uh, sufficiently enough or not.
3: I I think you've summed that up brilliantly, And, and when I look at the difference between the way the two teams batted I think that that security blanket that that we'll call Steve Smith mm-hmm. uh, in the Australian Absolutely. lineup just it just gave Mitchell Marsh that Mitchell Marsh that ability to go out there and really bat with intent, which we we just did not do in those those first eight overs. I think there was twenty five dot balls in the first forty eight balls that were bowled in our innings, which which is a, a clear difference between um, us and the Australians. But look. If someone had told me at the start of the, the the game that we would have put up 170 in the first innings, I would have taken that every time. But um, yeah, you, you just can't take it away from the Australians. They played a incredibly faultless game, uh, especially in that second innings.
0: Well, guys, let's move on and talk a little bit about the tournament in more general terms. I just want to give a quick shout out to Bordie as well. I was lucky enough to have a, a very pleasant round of golf with him um the day after the final and he didn't rub my nose in it as an Englishman or really crow about it too much um from an Australian perspective which is a testament uh, to the man but let's talk about the the format of this World Cup we had obviously the qualifiers playing in that round Robin stage leading into the Super 12s I think it was called did that work for us is this you know replacing 1992 as the best ever World Cup format or what are our thoughts
1: I think it'll be very difficult to replicate the romance of the 1992 world cup format because of the inclusion of south africa and zimbabwe from a return to sport point of view and the inclusion of zimbabwe as a as a new emerging nation in test cricket and sri lanka as well so all of those things kind of came together in a nice little um confluence of of happy events for me this format of the tournament is a pretty good blend of enabling the developing nations associate nations and nations that are on the cusp of that top eight top ten in white ball cricket to be able to play some meaningful games for big money against each other that are competitive in nature and the winner of that gets an added benefit of going on to the second round of the tournament i think if we had Australia playing Oman, for example, or Australia playing Papua New Guinea Papua New Guinea in the early stages of the tournament, that wouldn't have been good for cricket. But I think in terms of that exposure for those nations in Group 1, I think that was a massive, massive success for me. And those nations will take a lot out of it, not least of which are a pretty big paycheck for some of them at least. And of course, we can't forget that Namibia went through to the second round, not a fancied team in that bracket at all beating through ireland and the netherlands to go through in that group so they did really really well and got the added exposure and the added benefit of playing against some of those bigger nations and getting even more exposure both from a player point of view and also from a developing nation point of view so i think they've reached just about the right balance from my point of view in terms of that um, developing associate cricket or emerging cricket i think as daniel bezik would want us to say emerging cricket um, versus uh, having the highest level teams competing at the at the real pointy end of the tournament, and I actually think they got the finals format right as well. Two semi-finals and a finals, perfect for me. Not too much mucking around at the top end.
2: Yeah, I'll just jump on the back of that to say um, I tend to agree with everything you've said. I mean, basically the qualifiers puts those those you know the the emerging nations in the bright lights in front of a worldwide audience that they wouldn't otherwise get. Um, if that tournament was a month or so earlier, it sort of has to be then if you're going to actually try and grow the game and, and get the visibility. And I think the the criticism, I guess, when uh, there are more teams in a tournament, often the fans will say, "Oh, the tournament's way too long." But I think what this does is it gives the teams that potentially, uh, you know, like a New, like a New Zealand, I'm going to say because we're one of the top nations now, but in Australia and and India, England, the the, the you know the nations that are always in the back end of that tournament. If they don't, if their fans don't want to switch on for that tournament, they don't. They, they don't have to. They can just enter it at the group stages. But then at at this point, it means that if you love cricket like all of us do, and, and you want to see that, and it means it gives opportunities to to players like Mark Watt uh, from Scotland, who's really shone in this. And you know they beat Bangladesh. I, I think it gives you all. It ticks all the boxes. Whereas uh, you know excluding those nations or or having it earlier just would make it a much lesser part of the tournament
0: yeah i i think for and look please when i make my second point here this is not because england crashed out of the tournament um so just bear that in mind but i'll deliver the first bit first (laughs) and that is around the way that the tournament's scheduled the only criticism i have absolutely agree with everything you've both said about those emerging nations taking part Um, almost in the tournament proper and having it so close together. The only negative I can see to that is if you had a team like a Bangladesh or a Sri Lanka that actually got to play four or five games in those home conditions leading into the tournament before the other teams have actually, you know, arrived and really started in earnest and then going on a bit of a spree and and using that, um, as Raj would say, momentum into the tournament. That'd be the only criticism of that format that I could see, but I can't see a solution to to being able to segment that in a way that's then going to still provide the obvious benefits of that. The second point I'd make, and would look just slightly take an opposing point to Bodi, which will surprise no one, is that sort of semi-finals versus finals thing. It doesn't really incentivize you to go out and win the group. And um, we look at Pakistan won five from five, and then didn't get that second bite of the cherry that you get in a lot of these franchise tournaments where you've got some form of eliminator you've got a uh, a carrot and an incentive to win the group um and look I guess the same from England's perspective as well there so um you know would it be fairer that those two teams do get that um you know second bite of the cherry especially when it might be so close on run rate for that second and position in, in a group going into a semi but overall look it was it was fantastic and I think a lot of credit to the three grounds as well for getting that many games of cricket on you know three or four wickets um a pop um and producing particularly towards the latter end of the tournament some pretty decent cricket wickets that um you know gave a little bit for um for everybody watching the game
3: yeah, how good would it be um, Baldy uh, or Binksy or, or Sue, any of you, uh, if we played a seven game series in those uh, semifinals and finals? I've I'm, I'm been advocating for that for a while. My only criticism uh, of the scheduling is just uh, what I mentioned earlier around England and Pakistan played all their games up front. New Zealand and Australia, as it turned out here, played all their games at the back end of that tournament. And and I feel it did have a, a big role to play in the semifinals. Some people might not agree with that, but um, but the, but that's what I think. So that's my only criticism. And I do want to back up what um Binksy said there around the pitches. They did a great job to actually hold those together through the back half of the IPL and then through that, that World Cup to see some really good um, batting wickets at the end there.
1: Yeah, the only criticism I I think that you could really level at the tournament organizers was that the way that they tried to have all of those blockbuster group two matches at the very start of the schedule, you know, you had India, Pakistan kicking off the group and you had most of the really highly fancy teams all playing each other in the first three or four days. So there was potential there for the group to be decided within the first couple of games. As it turned out, there were a couple of surprise games and a couple of upsets and the groups stayed alive for a longer period of time. But definitely the opportunity for there to have been an issue there. I think they would change that slightly in the next iteration.
0: Awesome. Let's get back on a positive note, although we may not when we talk about the subject matter. Player of the tournament goes to one David Warner. Um, Certainly some conjecture around fandom on Twitter, which you would always expect, of course. What are our thoughts on player and players of the tournament who else was in the running for that and are we happy
3: with the outcome um for me i actually i didn't realize that he won player of the tournament i was going to give him player of the tournament if he didn't win it i think that uh he he was uh, david warner he was under huge pressure and he came right at the right time of the tournament and scored some very very important runs uh, at the end there so i guess i probably had another couple that that i thought that that probably uh, stood a chance of winning that, and uh, I've got Josh Hazelwood on there, especially for a guy who hasn't really be considered, been considered considered as a 2020 player. He's bowled really well throughout this tournament. When you look at him, you just think he's got a great slappable length that he bowls at a nice pace, but he really mixes it up, and he, he has done a good job throughout the tournament. And the other one I wanted to point out was, was um, Baba Razam. I think he batted really well throughout this whole tournament, and I actually think that him, along with Shaheen um, Shah, Freddie, they really... Pulled, uh, pulled Pakistan through that World Cup and got them to those five from five, uh, with a little bit of help from from Rizwan as well. After when he get when he when he can get himself out of hospital.
2: Yeah, geez, that was uh those when you see that footage of uh, the or the photos of Rizwan. What an what an effort that was to to get to that semi final for a start, and then to perform so well. And yeah, I mean you touched on those two Pakistan players. It, just just brilliant both of them. But. I I sort of tend to and and I know um there's been a lot of sort of a lot of the chat around who should be the player of the tournament has been centered around some of some of those guys and um but I'm very much of the thinking that it it should be a, a player that wins the tournament um unless unless someone is you know absolutely far and above everyone else and um yeah, I mean, actually, just just sidetracking on Hazelwood. It's a really great point that um Baldy made around Mitchell Marsh. It's very similar to ha- Hazelwood. A lot of those Australia players, they you know, didn't go to the IPL. They also, you know skipped out on tours. Hazelwood went to the IPL and actually honed his craft. They talked about it a bit in commentary and and you know he became very, very important player for CSK. And, it, and I think if you'd have said, you know, six months ago, twelve months ago, that Josh Hazelwood would be one of the most important bowlers, if not, you know, probably him and Zampa, who was sort of another player who I thought was a pretty good shout for this player of the tournament. Actually, but if you'd have said Hazelwood was was one of the most important players for Australia, I think you, you know, people would have been quite surprised, even that that he was going to be in that lineup ahead of Ashton Agar in the, you know, in these kind of conditions. So yeah, massive, massive credit to him.
1: Anyone else you want to put in there, Baldy? Well, I thought Adam Zampa was a little bit hard done by not to be mentioned in dispatches, at least for the player of the tournament. He was my player of the tournament, the highest wicket taker from Group 2 onwards. I thought he was Australia's best bowler, just shading out Josh Hazelwood, who was excellent, excellent, excellent. Particularly if you have a look at the key games against South Africa, which was a close game, Hazelwood unlocked that top order for South Africa just when they were looking to get um to get going and he was excellent again in the final three for sixteen off his four overs against New Zealand. Took three of the top four wickets to fall in that game. So really, really big important games. Josh Hazelwood was the go-to man for Australia. Zampa, 13 wickets across his seven matches and an average of twelve. The economy rate for me is the key. 5.81 under six runs and over, under a runnable in T20 cricket is just excellent for a leg spin bowler. He bowled great wrong he bowled gr- with great control, really, really, really impressive. I think there are a lot of bowlers that that are also in that consideration. Hasaranga was a standout for Sri Lanka. Um, of course, you've got Trent Bolt also took 13 wickets in the tournament from that group two stage onwards. So we can't be leaving out Trent Bolt in terms of mentioning him in dispatches. And of course, Shakib before he before he left the tournament was a, a key bowler as well. As, as you say, though, batters when your games, bowlers when your tournaments. And Adam Zampa, I think, was the key bowler for Australia across all seven of their games, taking those 13 wickets at a great economy rate, um, backed up by Josh Hazelwood, who I thought was tremendous.
0: Yeah, well, Bordy, I think before we move on from there, I don't know whether it was a little bit of a slip in the press conference, but uh, Aaron Finch actually said Adam Zampa, who would be my man of the tournament um, in his post-match press conference. So probably just seeing a little bit as the Australian skipper's value to the side from his leg spinner. And yeah, look, we've pretty much mentioned everyone in dispatches there that made the ICC's official World T20 team of the tournament, Warner, Butler, Azam, Asalanka, Aidan Markram, Moeen Ali, Hasaranga, we mentioned, Zampa, Hazelwood, Bolt, and Norkia with uh, Shaheen Shahalfridi, uh, twelfthers for um, the tournament. Let's go on to the Top Order podcast moment of the tournaments. Um, we don't have a title sponsor, so if you um, do want to put yourself in the esteemed company of DLF or um, see it Tyres, please uh, come forward. But what was our moment of the tournament, chaps, um, throughout this uh, extravaganza of cricket?
2: The, there are a few that stand out for me. And, and, I mean, from a purely New Zealand perspective, it's probably a, a toss-up between, you know, uh, besto touching the rope during that Nisham and, and Chris Jordan over because... And, you know, that just kind of swung that game in our favour. And it was such a, a pivotal moment of that game. Or, or just Kane's knock. I mean, the really sad thing for me about Kane's innings is that I'm never going to watch that again. You know, that was such an absolutely brilliant innings. And I will never see that again because I don't want to watch a game, a final that we lost. So that's that's a really uh, a sad part for me. But, I mean, think it, on the flip side of that, I actually think the moment... Of the tournament, and the one that I'll remember most is Mitchell Marsh celebrating at the end of that tournament. I mean, I you know as much as I kind of hate uh, seeing Australia win and 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 all of everything that goes along with that, New Zealand losing. I love emotion in sport. I just think that's really what it's all about, and and what we all get so excited about. And and you could see, I mean, Baldy's already touched on you know the the journey I guess that Mitchell Marsh has had, and. You know, there's that famous press conference where he sort of says, I think everyone in Australia probably hates me. And, you know, you could see how much it meant to him. And and after hugging everyone and all of that, there was that moment where he just goes down on his knees and it sort of felt like everything just kind of got to him and he was able to just soak it in. And and I think that's really special. And I guess that's why, you know, as I said before, gutted for the New Zealand players that, that they don't get to experience that.
3: Uh, Yeah, so for me, I I, I was going to go with that um, the Australians winning that actually, Stu, you've stolen it from me. Um, I guess uh, it's not something that Australians, or definitely this set of Australians, a lot of them are not used to being... Uh, counted out uh, and, and they were counted out by, by many pundits before the tournament and I think that that really showed in the way they celebrated but because you did that I'll move on to another one <laughs> uh, my next one my next one the one that, that was a very close second for me was actually that um, opening spell from Shaheen Shah Freddie against India uh, I think that really set the tone for the Pakistanis and, and it really it, it allowed them to dream they'd been through a a tumultuous period in the, the, the few months or six weeks before that with people pulling out from from going home uh, sorry coming to Pakistan to play cricket and, and it really meant a lot to them to beat India to beat New Zealand um, early on and uh pakistan have actually been really good for me this tournament they've really added a lot to it especially with their fans in a time where we're here in new zealand where we we're all locked down at the moment and we can't imagine going to full stadiums and stuff but seeing their crowd in that um semi-final against australia Mm -hmm. was incredible to see the passion they had and and how much love for the game they had but uh yeah shaheen shah freddy allowing us to dream
0: well, look, I'm going to let Baldy have last say, given it's a green and gold World Cup victory. Um, I've got two things. Um, One was Liam Livingstone's 112-meter-six and the sound that that made off the bat. In an instance, that was just oh, um, cricketing pornography Um, for someone that um, doesn't really see a lot of English players smacking it that far, going past uh, the great Dre Russ, who had uh, got the the tournament best prior to that, a mere 111 metres. The second thing is a reaction from players, and it was the way that Jimmy Neesham sat in the dugout after the semi-final victory didn't really get too up. He was so focused, obviously, on uh, redemption of that uh, 2019 World Cup final. And then, look, I've got to say as well, as much as it pains me to say it from a celebration perspective, The guys that I like in the Australia team, um, and and that includes Mitchell Marsh, Stoinis, Zampa and Aaron Finch, particularly seeing what it meant to them. And I actually, you know, it it sort of made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up a little bit. Um, And then, of course, I saw David Warner and then wanted to throw something at the TV. But, um, you know, just (laughs) the way your emotions take you. But Bordy, over to you. What's your moment of the tournament, dare we ask?
1: I have two, none of them involve Australia. So in terms of purity of cricket performance, the moment of the tournament for me was Joss Butler's hundred, his hundred against, um, I can't remember who his hundred against was. I can't even remember who he beat, but he smashed them. Um, his, his hundred was one of the, be- yeah, it was one of the best innings I've ever seen anyone play. He was so truly dominant that it looked like no one could get him out through the first half of that tournament. He was ecstatic. Uh, um, sorry, he was electric. And the other the other moment for me was more of a narrative moment, an emotional moment in the semi final. Rizwan was in hospital the night before the game with a severe infection. Got up off his hospital bed. It was li- quite literally the flu game for Mohammed Rizwan. He went into that semi final against Australia, made 67, and gave his team every single chance of winning. In the field, he was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He understood what was going on and he was commanding his troops around the field, even though he wasn't captain. He was he was, he was was fantastic. So those were the two from a performance and an emotional moment for me that were the two moments of the tournament that I chose.
0: Well, Baldy, um, magnanimous as usual in not sort of going into the glory of a, an Australian victory, but um, we will wrap up, I guess, the T20 World Cup stuff here. Seems really weird to then be almost immediately previewing another series taking place just three or four days after the dust has settled on that world cup final but new zealand off to india for t20s and then followed by test matches lippy you want to give a little bit of a an overview of what's going on with that uh, new zealand t20 series we've seen i think mitchell um keep his place we've seen obviously conway going to be ruled out of that series anything else of note
2: Oh, look, I, I honestly, you can feel free to just cut me off at any point because I think uh, that this this T20 series is probably, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know honestly know if anyone in New Zealand is going to watch it because there's, there's three games. They start Thursday morning, Saturday morning, Monday morning, New Zealand time at 2.30 in the morning. Do we care? Do the players care? I mean, you've, you've already touched on Kane Williamson, uh, has, has, ruled out, has ruled out I mean we all care very much about the, the India-New Zealand Test Series uh, that's coming up and, and we're going to preview that properly for you uh, soon but you know I, I think this will just be a heavy dose of guys who, who didn't play much in that World Cup it's the same squad um, Lockie Ferguson is back so it'll be exciting to, to hopefully see him back on the field but you know honestly I just think you know enough about these meaningless games you can, you can wrap up the pod and, and let everyone stop running
0: Well, thanks lippy um unexpected normally given a chance to talk about uh, new zealand cricket (laughs) i've got an opportunity to go off and make a cup of tea Um, i'm now actually forced into wrapping up the podcast but we will leave it here as lippy alluded to there's plenty more coming up in your feed india new zealand test series preview and our evolution of t20 cricket episode a massive congratulations to australia's men Who win their first T20 silverware? And congratulations to Baldy as well, who hasn't rubbed our collective noses in it here at the Top Order Podcast. But for tonight, it's good night and God bless from all of us here in Auckland at the Top Order Podcast. See you soon. Good night.